All right, how are we? Good, 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 good. It's, uh, it's always great to see a packed house, and we had more chairs, and those are already full too. So we're dealing with some good problems around here. How does it look from over there? Is it good? Sound all right over there? All right, well, you guys look good over there, just so you know. Um, hey, glad to be here with you guys this morning. Before we dive in, um, I, I just wanted to take a, a quick second and mention something happening next week personally and invite you to this, okay? Um, next week, we are having what we call here at Westridge a group link event. Um, one of the things that we do here at Westridge is, uh, is groups, and it's the way that we get people connected into community with other believers who are probably showing up here on Sunday mornings, but you know, you come in, you're here an hour, you don't really talk to a lot of people, and then you leave. We want to constantly be making this church smaller as it gets bigger, and we don't know of any better way to do that through groups. Now, groups for us, it serves the purpose of community, fellowship. Um, you meet with people, you pray with them, you encourage them, you support them. Um, it, it meets the need of care in our church. Like, there's a lot of you and not many staff, and uh, you know, seven people can't care for a thousand people. And so groups help us to care for each other. And then also we want to get people in groups so we can accomplish the mission of God together that we believe God's put us in this city for. So um, here's what I want to say. Next week again, we've got an easy on-ramp group link event where you show up in this room right after the 1159 service. We give you lunch. We take care of your kids. And you get to come meet group leaders and just check out some groups. And so I want to invite you to that. We need you to register if you're going to come at westridge.com slash link. Or you can stop by the Help Center, which we've also moved back inside the room. Um, After the service is over, let them know you want to be here so we can plan for you. But I'll just be honest. My goal is to get as many people as we possibly can from Sunday mornings in a group. That's the goal. So we'll probably annoy you with group talk and all that good stuff, but that's okay. Um, For those of us in the room, and then I'll stop talking about this, who go, groups is kind of weird for me because I'm an introvert and... The thought of sitting on someone's couch who I don't know and talking about stuff that makes me uncomfortable, I don't think I want to do that. Um, Here's my encouragement to you. Jump in on a serving team. Jump in on a serving team. We have so many opportunities here on Sunday mornings and even opportunities throughout the week for you to serve in the church from holding doors and smiling at people to parking lot to cafe to kids ministry, student ministry, administration. We need more group leaders. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve. And what we hope happens um, as you jump onto a serving team is this, is that you'll build relationships with other people that you're working alongside. And through those relationships, you'll develop deep friendships and that'll kind of take shape of the group thing that we were talking about earlier. So I'd encourage you to do that. Stop by the Help Center before you leave today, and you can talk about groups and serving uh, with someone there. All right, let's get our Bibles. Let's go Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I'll tell you, we're going to be kind of jumping through a lot of places from Ecclesiastes today. And Ecclesiastes 9, it'll come later, so just kind of bookmark it, put something there to hold your place, and we'll get there eventually. Um, Here's the deal. I I don't think that we have to look at our world for very long before we start noticing that something's wrong, right? I mean, I think if you turn on the TV, read the newspaper, you know, get out your iPhone or your Droid or whatever and look up some apps or check Facebook, and I think it becomes very apparent that at times our world appears very broken and very hard to make sense of. And uh, I'll give you some examples this morning, some illustrations, and we're going to throw some pictures up on the screen and we'll talk about this. Um, How many of us in the room still remember where we were September 11th, 2001? Yeah, almost all of us. 
Uh, I still remember I was in college. I was driving to school that morning to go take a biology test, and I was listening to the radio, and the DJs were talking about this happening that morning, and they were explaining how a plane had flown into one of the World Trade Center towers, and they actually were on the phone um, when I tuned in with a lady who was in New York City in an office building watching all of this unfold in person. And I will never forget in the middle of her conversation with the radio station, it, it was when the second plane hit the tower, And she's on the radio screaming, oh my God, oh my God, another plane just hit the second tower. And the radio DJ said, you know, this isn't an accident, we're under attack, this is terrorism. And if you're like the rest of the world, you probably watched that day nonstop and thought to yourself, something is wrong here. What in the world would push people to a level of hate where... Man, they fly planes into buildings and kill thousands of innocent people. Something's wrong in the world. Um, Let's throw the next one up here. This is a little more recent. This is a guy, uh, some of you guys probably know who this is automatically, but this is a 24-year-old college student named James Holmes who just a few weeks ago walked into a midnight movie premiere of The Dark Knight Rises and opened fire on the crowd there. More victims than any other mass shooting in U.S. history. This guy walked into a movie theater, he killed 12 people, he injured 58 other people, and again, I think most of us, we probably sat back, watched this unfold, watched the news, read on Facebook, and thought to ourselves, what in the world would cause somebody to do that? Like something is wrong, something is off, all is not right in the world. Um, Let's throw the next one up. What about this? I don't know if you struggle when you see stuff like this, but... I can tell you, I've, I've seen this firsthand across the world. I'll never forget the first time I went to Africa. And I had been blessed to travel all over the world, um, and I've seen pretty extreme poverty, but nothing like what I saw there. We walked into West Africa, Burkina Faso, went out into the bush, into these different villages um, where families were living, I mean, worse conditions than our animals live in here. And I remember hearing stories from families about moms and dads having to choose which one of their children they would feed while they chose to not feed the others. They didn't have enough food to feed all of their kids. If they tried to feed all of them, all of them would die. So they'd pick one or two and feed them, and then their other kids would die from malnutrition. And I just remember hearing this story. I mean, seeing these kids with hair coming out, swollen bellies, ribs showing, just having nothing and thinking to myself, something is wrong in the world. All is not right. Listen to these statistics on poverty that exists in our world. Um, 40% of our world today, that's 2.6 billion people, 2.6 billion people in our world live on less than $2 a day. 8 million people die every day from lack of food and nutrition, or I'm sorry, every year from lack of food and nutrition, and that's 24,000 deaths a day. The majority of those deaths are children, 5.8 million children a year die from malnutrition, 16,000 kids a day in our world die because they don't have food to eat. Um, 1.1 billion people don't have safe water, 2.6 billion people lack basic sanitation. The second largest cause of death in our world in children is diarrhea. 
millions of kids each year. 1.8 million kids die from diarrhea for a few reasons. They don't have um, access to clean water and they don't have medicine to clear it up. This is the world we live in. And again, if you're like me, you hear that and you go, something is wrong here. Something is broken here. Now, we could keep going with examples, couldn't we? I mean, we could talk about corrupt world leaders. We could talk about wars happening. We could talk about natural disasters that have claimed the lives of thousands of people. Hurricane Katrina, the tsunami in Indonesia a few years ago. We could talk about the earthquake in Japan that happened last year. But I think we probably all get the point and could all easily agree this morning that our world is off. Is that a safe assumption? Something's wrong here. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you read this book, and particularly when you go back to the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been hanging out in the past couple of weeks, here's what you'll find. You'll find that King Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, when he was alive here on the earth over 3,000 years ago, he was making those same basic statements about the world in which he lived. He was looking around him going, The world's broken, something's wrong, all is not right here. Solomon, he's making a case throughout the book when you read it that his world over 3,000 years ago, it really wasn't that much different than our world today. And even though he was wiser than any man that had ever lived before him, he, like many of us, struggled to figure out why the world was so messed up, why life seemed so unfair at times, and he questioned time and time again if anything could happen to ever change it. This is what we find coming from, again, the most powerful, the richest, the wisest man alive during his day. Now, this morning, I want us just to walk through some passages in this book. We're going to point out six things, six things that Solomon pointed to as he made the case about the brokenness of the world, the unfairness of life. And again, I think you'll see how similar his world was to ours today. Um, First thing he points to, first thing he points to is injustice to the poor. Injustice to the poor. And you can read about this in Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3. And here's what he says in those verses. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. So here's what Solomon's observing. He's looking across the world and seeing people living in extreme poverty, continuing to be oppressed, continuing to suffer injustice. And then he's looking at other people in the world going, those are some rich, blessed, powerful people. And they can help those other people who are living in extreme poverty, but they're not helping because they don't really care to help. And he's going, man, something seems really, really messed up about that. Um, I told you last week I used to live in South Florida, and I would see stuff down there that would just bug me all the time. Um, In Miami, there is one of the highest homeless populations in the entire United States. Um, Miami is also one of the wealthiest cities in the entire United States. So I remember hanging out on South Beach several nights and going to dinner and doing church down there. And I'd walk out onto the street, and I would literally see time and time again a homeless person eating out of the garbage can parked right next to a $200,000 Bentley. And I would sit back and I'd go, something seems so messed up about that, right? Now, what Solomon's doing is he's observing similar situations unfold in front of him. And again, what he can't get his brain around is this. 
Why are people suffering like that? And why are other people who are able to help not helping? He goes, man, I I just don't get that. That seems meaningless. It seems purposeless. And he goes, man, the best thing that could happen for those poor people is they would just go ahead and die. That's the best thing that could happen. Just die instead of staying alive. And he said, the, the only other option for them that would have been better than that would be never having been born in the first place. That's hard to hear, right? But this is the world he's living in. Um, the next thing he points to, it's crooked politics. Crooked politics. Um, Ecclesiastes 5.8, he says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, don't be amazed at the matter. So he's going, man, if, if the world looks messed up and, and you're looking to blame somebody, he goes, listen, don't really be too surprised because there's a higher official. He's watched by a higher official, and then there's higher officials over them. So here's the king of Israel looking at the governments of the world, and he's going, man, there's a lot of corruption there. He's pointing down or he's pointing out top-down leadership issues. Again, if we pay attention to our world, we've seen this type of thing play out several times over the last couple years. Have we not seen people living in very oppressed countries in the world um, where there are very corrupt rulers leading them, and finally those people get tired of what they're suffering, and they go, we're done with this, we're going to overthrow this system. We've seen that, haven't we? And it's all because, again, they're living in a place where... uh, Police don't protect the people. The military puts fear into the people. The government isn't trying to help the people, but they're trying to control the people. And it all goes back to the one guy at the top. And Solomon's going, man, it's the world in which I live, right? Again, his world 3,000 years ago, not much different than our world today. Um, The next thing he points out is incompetent leaders. Incompetent leaders. And you read about this in Ecclesiastes 10, 6, and 7. He says, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Here's basically what Solomon's saying. He's going, I'm looking across the world, and I'm seeing some pretty dumb people in leadership positions. I'm finding fools as leaders. He's going, man, I'm finding people who have no business leading other people with a lot of authority. And then he's going, man, I'm looking at other people who, because of status, they don't have a lot of authority, but they have a lot of integrity. They'd be great at leading people if they were ever given the chance, but they'll never get the chance because of who they are. And it's hard for him to stomach. It's hard for him to make sense of. And again, I don't want any of us saying anybody's names, okay? Don't say your boss's name, okay? Um, Don't say any political person's name. I don't want to do that today, but again, isn't his world, doesn't it sound a lot like the world in which we live? This is the case he's making. Now, um, we'll keep going, and this should strike a chord with us. I hope it does. Um, He points out materialism. He points out materialism as a problem in his world. I think it's a problem in our world today. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. You see, what was going on in Solomon's world is this, is you had a bunch of people who loved money and loved stuff so much that they were willing to sacrifice almost anything to get money and to get more stuff. And the thing that they would constantly sacrifice the most is other people. This is what materialism is. Materialism is people, instead of using stuff and loving other people, materialism is people using other people just to get more stuff. 
It's people devaluing and stepping on other people because they love stuff so much. And again, in Solomon's world, this is going on. This goes in on in our world today. And Solomon is left again at the end of this verse using that word. This is vanity. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. You can chase stuff and money all day long at the expense of other people, but you'll get no lasting satisfaction from it. I mean, this is Solomon. The world's broken. The world is off. And, and church, I just want to tell you what this kind of attitude leads to, that materialistic stuff over people. I want to tell you what it leads to. It leads to, again, and I said this already, it leads to us devaluing other people. And if we start devaluing other people for the sake of stuff as followers of Jesus, we miss out on living the purposes of God in our world. Right? Because the purpose God created us and saved us for, it's about people, Right? It's about honoring and loving God and loving and blessing other people. And when you love stuff and money more than people, you're going to fail to live out the purpose God created you for. And I hope that we're never a church okay with loving stuff and using people. I pray that we would be bothered like Solomon was when he was alive 3,000 years ago with materialism and what we see in our world. Let's use our stuff wisely and steward it well out of our love for other people. Um, The next thing he points out is this, the guilty committing crime. The guilty committing crime. Ecclesiastes 8.11, he says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Uh, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, okay? Solomon's looking at his world, and he's seeing people guilty of crimes, and because their punishment is not handed out to them appropriately or in the right amount of time, he's going, they're just left to roam in freedom and to commit more crime. Give you an example from today, where we live. Um, He's looking at guys like Jerry Sandusky. You know Sandusky, the guy who's been all over the news the past several months, football coach at Penn State, accused of sexually molesting multiple young boys. Now listen, this just didn't happen, right? This happened years ago. I mean, we're talking 15 plus years ago, and there were people who knew about it. And it was never dealt with. And because it wasn't dealt with, the guy was able to keep on committing more crime. Solomon, again, is looking at his world going, it's going on all over the place. I just can't get my head around that. The last thing, the sixth thing that he points out to uh, us as readers is this. The wicked being blessed and the righteous suffering. The wicked being blessed, the righteous suffering. Ecclesiastes 8.14, he tells us this. He says, there's a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that, that, that this also is vanity. Solomon is observing what many of us in the room and many people in the world struggle with, right? That good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. I mean, Solomon's looking at his world and going, that's a really good person. Why in the world is that happening? And that's awful. And he's going, that guy over there, he's terrible, right? I mean, he's pursuing things that just don't matter. He uses people, and that's not a good guy. And there's so much blessing in his life, and he seems to have so much favor. And Solomon's going, I can't understand that. It seems purposeless to me. It's vain. It's meaningless. That offers absolutely no satisfaction. It's hard for him to get his brain around. And I know it's hard for some of us to get our brain around. Again, our worlds are not much different. Now, I want to put the pause button on for a minute and tell you what my experience in life and and ministry has been when it comes to people, myself included, trying to make sense of the world like Solomon was trying to make sense of the world. 
My experience has been this. In my own personal life and walking alongside others, I think when we observe the world, the unfairness of life, suffering, poverty, injustice, death, disease, tragedy, violence, wars, all of that stuff, I think most of us are left wanting the answer to two big questions. Um, And I'll give you those two big questions. First is this. One, why are these things happening? Why are these things happening? And some of us will phrase this question like this. Why would God? Don't we? We phrase it like that. Why would God, if God is good and if God is loving, why would God let this stuff go on in our world? Fair question. We're going to answer it in a moment. Um, Second question is this that I think a lot of people wrestle with as we look at the world. Can we make a difference? Like the needs seem so vast, the problems seem so unrealistic to overcome. Is there any point in trying to make a difference in our world while we're here? Because it seems kind of pointless to me. A lot of people I know have wrestled with that question. Again, but we're going to spend time together answering both of those questions this morning. So let's start with the first one. One, why does this stuff happen? Or again, as some of us might ask it, why would God let this stuff happen? And uh, here's why this stuff happens. And the answer, again, it's very simple, and we've taught this before here, and we'll always teach it in the future. The reason our world is the way it is, and the reason we see the things we see here, is because sin is here. That's the simple answer. Sin is here. Why is suffering here? Why is injustice here? Why is poverty and violence and wars and natural disasters a part of the world in which we live? The simple answer is because sin is in our world. And we know from the scriptures that sin, its purpose is to kill and to destroy. And that's what sin's been doing to our world ever since it entered the world. And church, here's what we can't ever forget. We can't ever forget who's at fault for sin being in our world. Who's at fault, church? It's us. It's not God. God's not at fault for sin being here. That's why we can't ever run to God and say, God, how dare you? Like God didn't wake up one day thousands of years ago and say, I think I'm going to ruin their world today. I'll throw sin their way. It's not his fault. We are at fault for sin being in our world. Think back to Genesis when God first created everything. He created everything and he said, man, it is good what I've created and sin was nowhere to be found and the consequence of sin was nowhere to be found and there was no such thing as injustice and suffering and poverty and death and disease and violence and war. It didn't exist. It wasn't here until Genesis chapter 3 we read that man made a very conscious decision to disobey God and to do life his way instead of God's way. And with that one decision, sin entered the world and ushered in all of those things we just talked about. Our world is the way it is because sin is here. And as long as sin is here, the consequences of sin are going to be here with it. So church, here's what we can't do, okay? We cannot put God or his character on trial for the things we see in our world that are a result of sin that we chose for ourselves. We can't. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God is always good. And God is always loving. You want to know how I can say that so confidently? Um, I can say it because of the cross. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, when you and I chose sin over God, you know what God did? He didn't turn a blind eye. He didn't say, well, they'll just get what they deserve now. He came after us. 
he wrapped himself in flesh and he came into our world as Jesus Christ and he lived a perfect sinless life and at the end of his life he went to the cross to pay for our sins, to offer us redemption for our sins, to reconcile us back to God and after he died he spent three days in a grave and then rose back to life to conquer sin, death and hell and to give eternal life to all who would ask. This is why God is good. You see, we cannot let our circumstances or the brokenness of our world make us question who God is or how he feels about us. Our circumstances do not tell us how God feels about us. The cross tells us about how God feels about us. God is good. Came after us. God loves you more deeply than you'll ever comprehend. And I can confidently say that because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know him, I hope you leave knowing him. I really pray that for you. Um, Second question, can we make a difference in our world? Can you and I as Christ followers make a difference in our broken world? Here's the simple answer. Absolutely, and that's why we're here. Yes, and that's why you're here. Um, Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just save people and like suck them into the sky? Ever wondered that before? Like that movie, um, The Forgotten, you ever seen it? A little different because aliens, not God that time, but... Literally, people just getting sucked up into the sky. Have you ever wondered, why doesn't God just save us and just take us? It'd be awesome. But the simple reason is, is this. He left us here to make a difference in our world. He saves us and he leaves us here to, to live on mission, to bring honor to him, to impact his kingdom, and to love and bless other people in the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. I was listening to a message a few years ago by a pastor I love named Francis Chan, and uh, he was talking uh, about similar stuff that we're talking about this morning. And he said, man, isn't it interesting that a lot of times we'll go to God and we'll ask him those questions of, God, why don't you end suffering in our world? Why don't you end poverty in our world? Why don't you end all the other stuff we see in our world? God, make a difference. Do it now. And Francis said something that just shook me to the core. He said, I wonder if for many of us who know Christ, if we'll get to heaven one day, we'll show up in eternity one day, and God will ask us that same question. I left you there. Why didn't you do something about people suffering? I wonder if God will look at us and go, I left you there. Why didn't you stand up for people suffering injustice? Why didn't you defend the cause of the weak, deliver people out of bondage? Why didn't you stand up for peace in the world? I left you there to make a difference. Why didn't you make a difference? Church, again, that's why God has us here, to love him, to love people, and to make a difference in our broken world. And here's the truth of the matter. We have everything we need as followers of Jesus to make a difference in our world. One, we have the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the scripture says, it is the power of God unto salvation. Isn't it amazing to know that if we'll open our mouths and talk to people about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will use the message we share with them to set them free, to save them from their sins, and to to awaken faith in their hearts so that they can have eternal life? We've got that good news. Um, We have got the Holy Spirit inside of us for those of us who know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he gives us power and he gives us courage to go out into our world and to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And can we be really honest this morning? You guys okay being honest in church? Is it not true that most of us in the room have more than enough when it comes to stuff and money and resources and possessions? And just be honest, I mean, we live in the richest country in the world. The majority of all of us have plenty more than we need. 
And the challenge I want to put in front of our church is this, and I'm speaking to myself as well. Instead of always looking for ways to use our excess on ourselves, what if we started looking at our excess and trying to figure out ways we could use it for other people? Like I've always said, man, I know there's kids across the world suffering from malnutrition. And I'll go sponsor a kid through Compassion International for 38 bucks a month and make sure that kid eats and hears the gospel. I know there are people who across the world can't get access to clean water. And I know through Westridge, we do water wells in Burkina Faso all the time. And we plant churches there. How in the world could I give to that? So we make sure people across the world are getting clean water. Right here in our own community. And what can we do to reach out to the oppressed, those suffering injustice, people who are caught up in bondage to things and sins and addictions? We have what we need. We've just got to choose to use what we need for what's in front of us, for what the need is. I want to put that challenge in front of our church. We are here to make a difference. We can make a difference, and I hope you believe that and act every day on that belief. Now, I want to go to Ecclesiastes 9. If you've kept your place there, just flip it open. Ecclesiastes 9, and I want us to read together how Solomon responded to what he saw in the world from verse 1, and we'll leave today with some hope, okay? Um, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1, here's what Solomon says. He says, I laid all this to heart, examined everything. So I looked at all of this stuff in the world, wrestled through it, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. Here's what Solomon is saying. Here's the conclusion he's come to as he's looked at the brokenness of the world, wrestled with the unfairness of life. He said, I've examined it all, and here's what I've realized. No matter what life may bring, no matter what circumstances I walk through, no matter how broken the world truly is, if I'm loved while I'm here, if I'm hated while I'm here, the thing I can be confident in and trust in is that the righteous and all their deeds, everything they do, are in the hands of God. Everything. Listen to me, church. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, and the reason I say if you know Jesus, because Jesus is the one who makes us righteous, according to the Bible, right? Jesus Christ, what did he do? He became our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That's what happened at the cross. Jesus makes us righteous. Not what we do, not coming to church, not trying to be a good person. We can't earn salvation. Jesus does that for us. If we know Jesus this morning, how much confidence should we have knowing again that no matter how bad life may get, no matter how broken the world may seem, that God has got a hold of us. He's holding on to us tightly. And anything that we do, every single deed that we accomplish for the sake of investing in his kingdom and loving him and blessing people, it never is overlooked by him. He's always pleased with our efforts. I don't know about you, man, but that gives me so much confidence knowing that. To walk out into the world, to live a life that honors God, that blesses people, knowing again, no matter what I face, he's got me. No matter how hard life may seem, he's holding on to me. I never have to question about how God feels about me. He's good and he loves me and I see that at the cross and I know that he's got a hold of me now and he's not letting me go and nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's got me, he's got me, he's got me. And I don't know what you're going through this morning, how difficult life may seem right now, what brokenness you're walking through, experiencing, seeing in the world just saying, if you know Jesus, he's got a hold of you. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. 
Um, one last passage that I want to read from the New Testament as we close. One of my favorite in the Bible, and Paul, again, he is writing this and staying in that same vein of just presenting hope to us in the midst of living in a broken world. And here's what he says in Romans 8, 18 through 21. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. There's that word that Solomon uses, this same word vanity. It's that word that again means purposeless, meaningless, no satisfaction, right? And creation was subjected to that because of sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul here is reminding us what we've talked about time and time again in the past here and what we'll keep talking about in the future. That there is coming a day where the world will not be like this anymore. You know what's so cool about Jesus and the cross and the gospel? Um, What Christ accomplished at the cross, he accomplished restoration and redemption for individuals. He saves us from our sin. He sets us free from our sin. But the other part of this is is bigger than just individual people. What Christ accomplished at the cross sets free creation ultimately from sin. It ushers sin out of our world, his life, death, and resurrection eventually one day. You see, when Christ comes back for the second time, we don't know when that is, but God let it be quick, right? We don't know when it is. When he comes back for the second time, sin will be no more. It'll be defeated. It'll be taken out of our world. And because sin will be no more, listen to me, church, the consequences of sin will be no more. And when Christ comes, all of creation will be restored. All of creation will be redeemed. The Bible says all followers of Jesus Christ will live in a new heaven, in a new earth, where again, we'll never look at the world and go, why is it like this? I see suffering and death and disease and injustice and poverty going on. No, no, no. We're going to live in a creation one day with Jesus in the flesh as our king and never once again for the rest of eternity wonder why our world is so broken. We'll wake up every day. Jesus is Lord. Everybody loves him. All is perfect just as God intended it to be in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. That's what waits on those of us who know Christ. So Paul, again, he's going... It's coming, that's coming, that's coming. I know the world's tough to live in sometimes, very broken life, seems very unfair, but that's coming. Ultimate salvation is coming. And until then, church, we just gotta remember, he has us. He has us in the palm of his hand. Listen, if you came in this morning, you don't know Jesus. The only way to be ready for that day coming is to know him. The only way to be sure and confident again that God has you here in this life is by knowing Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to place faith in him as God's Savior, Lord, in just a moment. For the rest of us, I want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to sing a song together in a minute. I asked Matt and the guys to play this. It's just so good. I walked in this morning into my office and they were playing it during rehearsal. I'm just back there just worshiping already. But it just speaks to this truth again. There's coming a day. It's all going to be different. Until then, we can trust that God will never let us go. So I just want to invite you to pray with me, if you will. Again, for those of us in the room who don't know Christ, the Bible says if you will believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he is Savior, that he is King over all of creation, 
And if you'll be willing to confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the promise is that God will save you. So this morning in your seat, there's no magic prayer that saves anybody, but you can just let your confession to God be something like this. You say, God, this morning I believe Jesus is God. And I believe he came to this earth to to save me from my sins. I believe he died on the cross and he was punished for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave to conquer death so that I could have eternal life. And God, this morning, just forgive me of my sin. God, I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow you. God, this morning, I want to know eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, so save me to eternal life. God, I want to know that no matter what I experience in life, you've got a hold of me. promise again, you confess that, you believe that with all your heart. God will save you. Start making you a new person today. Put his Holy Spirit inside of you so that you can live the life he's called you to live on the earth. And you can know one day after life is over here, you'll spend all of eternity with him. Father God, be with this time as we worship you. Reflect on your goodness. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.